Good. Well, as I said, we're going to go ahead and finish our series on A Worthy Walk with the Lord. We're on part five. And uh, it's just been a good study for me personally. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we've talked about different virtues that you have to kind of carry and lean into the grace of God in, you know, that are defined in the scripture as what it means to walk worthy of Jesus, live a lifestyle that's worthy of Jesus. And what a, what a phrase even that, you know, a lifestyle worthy of Jesus. That's, a, that's an intense thought, you know, to live a lifestyle worthy of Jesus. And so um, this morning, I want to go ahead and, and wrap it up by, by talking about where we're headed, where this thing goes. What's the outcome of a worthy walk? What's the outcome of a life, you know, given in abandonment to the Lord Jesus? What what do we have to look forward to in a certain sense? Where is this thing going? And these thoughts, uh, when I stare at them in the scripture, they, they move my heart because uh, they're just, they're so real and so tangible and so powerful, uh, they, can, they can really, um, they can really minister to you, really give you a, a, a compelling sense of the Holy Spirit on your heart as to how to live but so often, these thoughts are kind of just put off into this ethereal, kind of wispy, cloudy realm, almost as if they're just, you know, uh, symbolic. But it's so real where we're going, where this thing takes us, this journey with Jesus, a, a worthy walk with Christ. It's so real where this thing is headed. So um, turn with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. And we're just going to... We're just going to talk about where the story will lead us. Now, what's interesting to me about the scripture is um, you, don't really, you don't really have definition on, so to speak, the end. What you have definition on is this eternal continuation of relationship with God. Those are two really different things. There's not this idea in the Bible of sort of everything just comes to an end. That's why the whole, you know, uh, Mayan calendar deal was obviously wrong. Because the Bible doesn't talk about sort of everything coming to an end. What the Bible talks about is things going on forever. That, I mean, that's kind of simple. I know a lot of people got freaked out, bought a lot of extra bread. I was trying to figure out why they cleared out the shelves the bread shelves, if the world is ending, like, just going to eat it on your way out. I, I mean, I don't know what the point of that was. But, uh, anyhow, so the scripture talks about this deal going on and on and on. Really going on and on and on. And not in some sort of wispy, kind of, you know, shadowy corner of the eye, like what is going on really. I mean, in a very tactile and literal way in which you will engage. You will engage and, and, and actually have interaction with God and with, will have interaction with one another. These things, we're not going to turn into cloudy, wispy little kind of, you know, angels or little ghosts or something floating around. That, that is not r- reality. What is reality is what the scripture talks about, how there will be a, a, a very strong continuation, lots of continuity between who we are in this age and then what the next age holds and our position between this age and the next. And what I mean is how we live in this age determines who we will be in the next age. And I'm not talking about sort of in a reincarnation way. You'll still be you, but you will have a, a stature or a uh, place in the kingdom of God in the next age that's dependent upon how you lived in this age. There's continuity. And then the scripture is clear that... The next age, with Jesus ruling on the earth, isn't the end. But there's another age at least after that. And that age, (laughs) that age starts with the eternal father coming and living on the earth among his people. Yeah. And so this whole idea of it's sort of going to end... Or, you know, we all sort of turn into, you know, I like to say, you know, little fat babies floating on clouds, playing harps and wearing togas. And that, that stuff's just not real. 
But the scripture paints a very powerful and vivid uh, depiction of where this thing is going. And I think in the Lord on purpose leaves out lots and lots of details because it would probably just short circuit us if we knew what really is going on. I remember asking a friend of mine who's, I think of him as a theologian, I said, so what do you think it's going to be like when the eternal father is here on the earth and we're interfacing with the Godhead in perfect you know, relationship without any veil, anything in between us and the eternal father? What is that going to be like? And he just said, I think we're going to be walking around in fire and I think we're going to like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't quite conceive... Our God's a consuming fire. You can't quite conceive of really how this thing is going to play out, but there's so many indicators in the scripture, not, not just sort of, you know, implied thoughts. I mean, really explicit detail about how this thing, and when I mean this thing, our existence, life will go on and on and on forever and ever in relationship with God in a way that's very tactile, in a way that's very literal, a way that's very real. And so many of those dynamics are going to shift from what we know now. It's as simple as this. This age is described as a shadow compared to the next age when we really see him. And so then what happens in the following age? And perhaps if there's ages to come after that. I mean, in Ephesians 2, Paul said... For ages to come. That's at least plural. That means that there's at least two more coming uh, beyond this age. And so my point becomes, so many of our ideas about where, uh, what the end of a Christian life is about or what the end of, <clears throat> uh, or, or this idea about the end of existence, those are not real ideas biblically. The Bible paints a completely different idea. And so that's, I just wanna, I just wanna take a snapshot of it this morning because a worthy walk in this age translates to something in the next. And that's critical to know. And it doesn't just translate, it doesn't translate at all into floating around on a cloud, playing a harp, wearing a toga like some kind of cherub. It doesn't translate to that at all. My family and I, we watched It's a Wonderful Life. We like to watch that during Christmas season. And it just dawned on me this year that the doctrine of It's a Wonderful Life is that this guy is a human trying to get his angel wings. That's not reality. It's a nice story. I like when he prays and God helps him and generous giving gets poured out. That always moves me. But this idea about this angel that it was a human who's now working as an angel to get his angel wings, that's not real. And so much of our idea of the angelic realm, heaven, the age to come, all these things, we've gotten them from cartoon. And we've gotten them from movie. And how silly. I think, you know, we kind of have this. Anyway, I won't go. Okay, let's just stop. Let's go back and look at the word because uh, the scripture is so, it's so awesome what it says about where we're headed. So last week we talked about suffering. We talked about how the Lord will allow us to go through suffering because he's cultivating our heart to make us a worthy partner for his son. And while we're going through the challenges, a lot of times it's very difficult to comprehend, but if we can see with a lens that God allows suffering to come on the redeemed to purify and ready them for relationship with his son, all of a sudden, so many of the ways that we, that we perceive and, and sort of process our life activities it changes when, when, we, when we see that God is actually working in all of it for our good. And so we go through sufferings in this age unto something amazing in the next age. And let's look at this in Revelation 3. Now, I am going to stay almost entirely in the book of Revelation today uh, because I want to deal with this issue of the outcome of walking worthy of the Lord. But look at Revelation 3. In verse 4, and Jesus is talking to the church of Sardis that had their problems. They had issues. And he says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who 
have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Another way to say that is, you've got a few folks who have lived righteously. They've kept themselves from being defiled. They've had a worthy walk, and they will walk with me in white. You see that? They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They've walked worthily of me, and they will walk with me in white. How did they walk worthy of you? He says they did not defile their garments. That's a metaphor. When you see garments or clothes or uh, robes used in the scripture, it's talking about your lifestyle. So often, it's talking about the way you lived. So when it says they didn't defile their garments, it's saying they didn't defile their life. It's not saying they didn't ever get their clothes dirty. What it's saying is they didn't defile themselves with living for unrighteousness. But by, by living for Jesus, by living for righteousness, by overcoming all the, the pressures and the temptations of the devil and all the pressures of this age, they, 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 they are proclaimed by the Lord to have walked worthy. You see, I mean, we're going to all have a statement about how we lived over our, over our lives, there will be a statement that expresses the way we lived in, in, this, in this age. It's a short life, guys. 70 or 80 human years is a short life. Even if somebody lives to be 100 like my grandmother, it's still a short life. 100 years. It's like a vapor that appears for a moment and fades away. There will be an assessment Hear me, there will be an assessment of each one of our lives. There will be a statement about how we lived. And I, I, I mean, I, I just want to stress this. We, we can get so bogged down by staring at the short term, staring at the immediate, looking at our instant preferences and, and, and what do I want right now and miss entirely the point of why you're even existing this thing's going to go on a long time you're made for love you're made for intimacy with God you were made for God it wasn't anyone like you and he weaves together your DNA through bringing together hundreds of generations so he can have you why Because he wants you in relationship. He wants you in intimacy. He loves you. He's loved you from everlasting, the Bible says, to everlasting. He's been thinking about you. He made you for love. He made you for relationship with himself. That's That's why you're here. That's why you were actualized in the mind of God. That's why you're breathing. And this life, it's about... It's about coming out of the fact that we were poisoned with sin. We were, we were completely destitute and, and, I mean, destroyed because of sin. Coming out of that through the grace of God by the blood of Jesus and saying yes to God's leadership in our life and saying yes to his invitation to intimacy. That's what this is about. I want to know you, Lord. And so that journey of coming out of the trash. That's, our, that's our, our, our clothes, that's our walk, that's our lifestyle. And there's this thing at the end of it all. I'm talking about this age. There will be a statement, an assessment. How did he walk? How did he walk? And here's Jesus, and he's, the real Jesus is pointing to real people. In a real city in Sardis who lived real lives. And he says, there's several among you. They haven't defiled themselves. The, the implication is like many of you have in Sardis. Because they had their problems. He says, there's several among you. The, the few names. There's a few folks that haven't defiled themselves. He goes, they are worthy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the son of God 
saying to you, saying over your life, looking at the grandstand of heaven and saying, this one lived worthy. Oh my gosh. Not as an arrogance, not as a thing where you can sort of poke out your spiritual chest and like, I'm worthy. It's not that at all. Because it's all by grace. Grace is the most interesting mystery around. Here's why. Saved by grace, live by grace. Holy by grace. Everything you do that's good is by grace. You're cleansed by grace. You make good decisions by grace. It's all by grace. And when you agree with grace, when you say yes to God's divine enablement in your life, he says, and you walked worthy. I go, um... But I couldn't have done it without your empowering me. Like, you're the one that made it all happen. He goes, I know, you're worthy. You walked worthy. I go, but I couldn't have done it without you. He goes, way to go. Here, have some rewards. I go, how are you rewarding me for saying yes to your enablement in my life? I mean, you enabled it. How are you rewarding me for that? He goes, that's just how I do. Good job. Me, good job? I I go, how about you, good job? And he goes, yeah, and good job to you too. It's just amazing the way he does the math. And he is going to stand in front of those that have walked worthy, that have kept themselves from being defiled, however that goes, by agreeing with grace. He just said, you've walked worthy of me. And you're going to walk with me in white. You're going to walk with me in white. You've, you've, you've lived worthy in your lifestyle. And I just, these thoughts, they just melt my heart. I, I, I tremble over these things. Verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life and but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I want to make a distinction right here. In verse four, he says, those that have walked worthy have not defiled their garments, their garments, their lifestyle, their clothes. But in verse five, he said, they shall be clothed in white. And there's a distinction that's made when Jesus is talking about, in the book of Revelation and in the scripture throughout, when he's talking about someone's garments, he talks about their own garments. The, I believe he's talking about the life they lived in this age. And then he talks about the garment they will live in the next age. And, and here's the interesting thing. The garment you live in the next age has everything to do with the way you did your life in this age. It's really interesting. He makes a distinction between the two. He says, they have not defiled their garments and he who overcomes shall be clothed, shall be clothed in white garments, new garments. Do you see that? And I just started thinking again about that mystery of grace because for me to not defile my garments, I need grace. By the blood of Jesus, I need the grace of God. And I need to agree with it. And there's this thing where he's saying, when you have agreed with the blood of Jesus and the the power of the blood, and you've agreed with my grace in your life, and and you've said no to the enemy and yes to God, there's this thing where he, he, he applies it to us. He goes, you haven't defiled your garments. And I go, but I I mean, it was really me holding your hand. He goes, exactly, way to go, you. And I go, but you really helped me. He goes, but thank you, good job. He credits it to us. And then he rewards us with a heavenly garment. Now, it's interesting because we can get to this place where we might go, huh, heavenly garment. So that's a figurative thing, a spiritual kind of thing? Well, not exactly, no. In fact, the way that I see it is there are, uh, well, there's a couple ways that garments are treated and there's sort of this progression. Let's just look at it. So I'm going to stay in Revelation. All the verses will come up on your screen. We'll pop around just a little bit. Revelation 4. Here's what we have. We have elders that are on thrones. I see them as human leaders on thrones. 
they're around the throne of the Father. And it says in verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones. On the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads. These were robes that were given them. They were given to them. They were clothed in them. They were given these white robes as long as well as they were given those golden crowns. So here we have these guys that are in heaven and they've been given these robes. Revelation 6 verse 11. It's talking about martyrs who come out of the great tribulation and they're crying out to God to release justice on the earth. And he says, they say, how long? And he says, the Lord answers, says, a little while longer. And then a white robe was given to each of them. See, this heavenly robe is given to them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren would be killed as they were. And that number was completed. Here's the thing. This is a real robe. It's a heavenly robe, but a lot of times we mix it up and we go, oh, if it's heavenly, it's not real. No, heaven's more real than earth. Come on. Heavenly robe is real. If they're given a heavenly robe, that means they really put on a real robe in the state that they were in. And it's hard for us to see because we're so in touch with the natural realm, but there's a realm that's even more real than the natural the spirit. They were actually given robes in the spirit. They're, they're going to actually put them on. Those elders are actually wearing uh, heavenly robes that aren't spiritual in the sense that it's not real. No, it's spiritual in the sense that it's of the spirit and fully real. Well, guess what? All who overcome in this age, that means push against the, the temptations of sin, push against all the challenges and, and trials and, and, and all that the, the fallen world has to offer and all that the demonic realm tries to throw in front of believers, all that overcome are going to receive this, this robe, this white robe. Now, have you ever, uh, you, you know like when you're wearing a jacket, uh, uh, you know, men will go in and they'll get a jacket tried on and they'll get it, make sure that it's, it's the right length on the arms and and it's, it's, uh, it can be a little awkward, but when you go in, you get, uh, you get a jacket tailored. You know, they're kind of like catering to you, and they're kind of they're putting it on you, and they're kind of, you know, measuring you up, and, and you're standing there, and they're, they're you know, clothing you. And it, it can be a little awkward, because it's like, wow, this guy's like, he's kind of really close to me. But there is this unusual feeling about being clothed by somebody else. And it's like, man, it's just like they're taking care of me. They're covering me. All who overcome are going to have that sensation of being clothed by Jesus. He's going to put the robe on you. He's going to put your hands through the arms and drop it on your shoulders. And this thing is going to come on you. And when a robe that's a heavenly robe not talking, it's, it's real, I'm not talking imaginary, it's a heavenly robe, it's made of heavenly stuff. I believe this, every garment, every crown, all that is, is, uh, originates in the, in the heavenly realm, all that is made, it all carries anointing, it, all, it carries emotion, it carries sensation. My point becomes this, you're gonna be clothed with a robe of righteousness, do you know what that's gonna feel like? When a robe of righteousness comes on your being, whoo! No wonder there'll be no more sorrow, nor crying, nor shame, nor pain. You're going to be clothed in a garment that carries. The righteousness of God. Somebody said, well, when Jesus died, didn't we become the righteousness of God? Yes, you did. In fact, the Bible actually describes us as even right now being clothed with righteousness. Now, here's where it gets a little interesting. Because we are clothed right now with with righteousness, we are uh, positionally righteous before the Lord. 
on our way to becoming fully righteous. It's a both and reality. It's a already but not yet. It's the, the, the theological terms are imputed and imparted. Imputed means he says you're righteous on the way to you being righteous. So right now you're clothed in a robe of righteousness, but do you feel it? Do you, can, you, can you grab it is what I mean? I mean, you might feel righteousness on your soul, but do you, is it tactile to you? It's real righteousness, but the idea of the robe of righteousness right now for us is metaphor. Beloved, there's a day coming, my point is this, when the metaphor goes away. It's real righteousness with a real robe. A real robe on all the redeemed. Now you go, well, why are you making such a big deal about this robe? Well, have you thought about it? Have you ever thought about what that's going to look like? When the Lord himself puts the robe on you and every fiber of your being feels the purity of righteousness without any shame, without anything in the way, without time and the flesh to distract, without any craziness in the mind. I mean, and you're gonna look into the eyes of the one who is, who holds eternity in himself, the one who is uncreated, the one who's from forever to forever. You're gonna look into his eyes and that one who is burning with fire, who is completely pure and holy. You're gonna stare into his face and you're not gonna feel any shame. Oh, beloved, I tell you, the momentary afflictions of the righteous in this age are working for us a far more and eternal and exceeding weight of glory. We have no idea where this thing is going. And I'm talking about the little things. I mean, yeah, I know there's so many tragedies that people have to overcome in life but I'm talking about the day in and day out how all that actually adds to this whole idea what I mean is you know just you get up in the morning and you're on the you you just sort of get up on the wrong side of the bed and you're just sort of disgruntled in your soul and instead of lashing out in your flesh you just bring your flesh under and you just say no holy spirit I want to connect with you today. I want, to, I want to love like you love. And I want to know the way you think and feel about everyone around me. So rather than just going around and being a crab to everybody, you say, no, 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 I'm just going to love. And I don't feel like it, but I want to. Because you want me to. And you just make the little decisions to lean into grace. And man, all of a sudden, you're manifesting righteousness. And it looks like on the outside, like you're just da-da-da, perfect. But on the inside, you know the turmoil and the struggle. And you're just leaning into grace. You're saying yes to God. And man, it comes out pretty good. But you know what? God sees all of that. And it's that kind of life where you just, day in and day out, you're saying yes. You're saying yes. Say no to the flesh, no to the enemy, and yes to God. Day in and day out, you're making a thousand little decisions all the way. Agreeing with grace. I believe that's mostly what he talks about when he's saying a worthy walk. The thousand decisions you make a day. That's your garments. Your garments are the thousand decisions you make a day, 10,000 a month, whatever it is. All the little decisions for righteousness, all the little pressings against sin, that's your garments. Let me give you a couple more verses where it talks about your garments. Revelation 16, 15, Jesus, here it is, he's, he's speaking right before his return. And he says, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Keeps his works. Takes care of them is the idea. Keeps them clean is the idea. Because if he doesn't keep them, it says he will be exposed lest he walk naked. He will be exposed. And people will see his shame. There's this, there's this admonition from the Lord that we walk our lives, we live our lives, we walk out our lives in a way We're keeping our garments. We're saying yes to grace and we're walking out righteousness day in and day out. And Jesus says, blessed is he who watches 
and keeps his garments. What's that watching? It just, it's simply this. When you see watch, watch and pray, when you see that exp- uh, expressed in the scripture, watch or watch and pray, it just means stay spiritually awake. Stay spiritually awake. Blessed is the one who stays spiritually awake and keeps his garments. Watches how he walks day in and day out. Agrees with grace and walks out righteousness. Oh man, I'm looking at this and I'm going, the Lord's declaration of blessing over the life of the individual who just leans into grace and says yes to righteousness. Doesn't mean you do it perfectly. When you do wrong, you repent and you turn back to God and instantaneously you're, you're cleansed, you're justified, you're free. That's what grace does. That's what the blood of Jesus does. As, as soon as you fall, you don't have to you know, spend three weeks in sort of purgatory with God. You go, oh, what am I doing? I'm in the gunk again. Ugh, help, Lord. It's clean. Woo, that felt good. Instantly. Instantly cleansed. You don't have to, you know, do a thousand Hail Marys or beat yourself up real good or... See, I really meant it this time. See how much, how badly I'm treating myself? I really meant it. See how bad I feel about me? Because that's not helping. It's not adding a thing. The blood of my son took care of all of it. That's what he says. So that when you repent, when you really say, no, I don't want sin, I want God, bang, instantly, boom, instantly cleansed again. Living that way. Blessed is he who stays alert and keeps his garments. Have you ever noticed? And here we are coming off of a holiday season. We're all kind of a little fat and a little full. Have you ever noticed how in a holiday season it's a little bit too much Christmas cheer, but have you ever noticed how a little bit too much indulgence in the world just dulls you? Really, even a little indulgence dulls you. It'll just, it just puts a, a malaise on your mind, just makes you dull. You're tuned in more to the things of the world than the things of the Spirit of God, and, you're, and your heart feels sluggish. You ever notice that? I can't stand when I feel that way. I go, I don't want that, I don't want that. And so then I look like I'm doing crazy stuff because I turn everything off. And, <laughs> but I, I would rather turn it all off and have a, a heart that has a little bit of lightning on it then walk around sort of dull, sort of in agreement with the spirit of the age. Come on. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Uh, Revelation seven fourteen. There's John, he's around the throne, he's talking to the 24 elders and there's this innumerable company all before the throne and, and John asked the question, or actually the, the, the elder on the throne asked John the question, who are these? And John says, sir, you know. Verse 14, the, the elder answers and he says, uh, uh, John said to him, to the elder, sir, you know. And so he said, the elder said to John, these are the ones that come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They've got this group that's come out of incredible persecution, even martyred them on the earth. And he says, they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Beloved, that is our whole life. We wash, we're washing our robes in the blood of the Lamb. That's how we're living right now. Their robes in the blood of the Lamb. You and I are saying yes to the blood of Jesus, yes to grace. We're washing our robes in the blood of the Lamb all day long. Our works, we're keeping our works clean before the Lord. Okay, so there's the heavenly garment that is a representation of how we lived. And, and our works on this earth are called our robes or our garments. Now right there in that same chapter, I just want to point this out because this is, this is the point. Verse 15. Where is this thing going? Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. That's talking about the Father. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. 
16, they shall never hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them anymore, nor any heat. 17, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne. See the distinction between the father and the son. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. (laughs) In the progression of the book of Revelation, that is just a foreshadowing. Because the detail comes in Revelation 21, which we'll get to in a minute. It's going to wipe away every tear. Never going to be any hunger or thirst. The sun shall not strike them. He's talking about any heat. He's actually talking about physical things. The Father will dwell with them, and the Lamb will lead them. Remember, Jesus said, those who are worthy, they shall walk with him in white. There's going to be real interaction between us and Jesus, beloved. Okay. I'm I'm just going to wrap this up right now. Let's summarize. This idea of being clothed in righteousness. When you get saved, you get justified. Justified means immediately the righteousness of God is imputed to you. He sees you just as clean as Jesus because the blood of Jesus cleanses you. Immediately. And the scripture calls that being clothed in righteousness right now. You're clothed in righteousness. Now again, that clothed in righteousness, the righteousness is real, but the clothes are a metaphor. You're covered in righteousness. You're justified. You're declared righteous. Okay? Now, our own works are described as our clothes. They represent our lifestyle. And by grace, we keep our works clean, having washed our clothes in the blood of the Lamb. This is the day in, day out, thousand decisions we make. We keep our own clothes clean. We keep our works clean. Until this, the actual day when Jesus will actually put the robe around us and clothe us in a real robe that is a robe of righteousness. It's what what Isaiah talked about. He talked about being clothed in a robe of righteousness. It's very similar to the robes that the priests wore, which are described as robes for ministry to the Lord. We will, get, we will get a real robe from Jesus that's a robe of righteousness. And the, the, the most amazing thing about it is it's a real robe. It's really the righteousness of God. It, we're going to really feel it. And it's a representation of how we lived in this age. It's interesting. The, the continuity, the connection. Now, two more verses. Revelation 19. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Last week I said this, if you're not at a wedding, it's not over. If you're not at a wedding, this thing ain't over. It just means you're on your way. Because we're going to a wedding. There's a day coming when the wife of the Lamb, the bride of Christ, she will have made herself ready. Isn't that interesting language? Made herself ready. We know it's by grace, but he says, and you made yourself ready. It's that mystery of partnership between God and humans. God loves partnership. He wants the partnership, beloved. That's what he's looking for. You and I agreeing with him, saying yes and working together with him. On the one hand, you could say, man, it's all God. And then God would say, and you made yourself ready. (laughs) I just love how he does that. Nobody Nobody ever does that. Nobody ever does the good work for somebody and then goes, way to go, you did a good job. And and the mystery of the interaction between humans and God, he says, uh, you made yourself ready. And we know Ephesians 1 says, it's all to the praise of the glory of his grace. (laughs) (laughs) it's the both and it's an interesting tension theologians love to slide on one side or another it's all God God did it all for you you didn't even do make anything it's all God you're a robot almost and on the other side you got these guys who I did it 
I'm righteous. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ because I did this and I did that. And it's just blah. I go, yes, it's all God. And then he says, and you made yourself ready. Beloved, we're going to a wedding. We're going to be married. It doesn't stop on this side. I mean, really. It doesn't stop here. This is simply the proving ground. This is simply the engagement. We're going to a wedding. And not just attending. We're going to marry Jesus. We're going to marry God in the flesh. Really, really. And I don't quite understand the the transaction that that is. I know he uses marriage to speak of the most intimate human interaction there is. So he's speaking of the most intimate interaction there will be between humanity and divinity. He's speaking of a joining of some sort that's probably beyond my little brain right now. So we'll just leave it at that. You're going to marry him. You're going to marry Jesus. You're on your way to that. Now, I've never seen a bride... I've never seen a bride in her, during her engagement as the wedding was getting closer just sort of flippantly like barely doing any kind of preparations. I've, I've never gone to a bride and said, so have you got your dress? Nah, I'm wearing cut off jeans. Never happened. So you're not wearing a, a, a white dress? Nah, I'm just gonna wear a tank top and some cut off jeans. Uh, oh. No, I, these brides... They're like, you know, they're doing like insanity workout. You know, they're, they're like running to every bridal shop. And, you know, they're holding the two dresses. Well, this one's pearl. Well, this one's white satin. Can you tell the difference? No. But th- this one's pearl. This one's white satin. Can't you see it? I'm like, no. But they can. Why? Because they care about every little detail. So many, and not every woman, but so many women, they've dreamt their whole life about the day. They want everything to be just right. How weird would it be for Jesus' bride to sort of flippantly walk through life, just living sort of any old way, just kind of haphazardly going through. I mean, maybe just dabbling over here in some sin, or maybe just, you know, sort of one day really giving their heart to the Lord and just going after God, and the next day just kind of like whatever, and just kind of all carnaled up in the world, and then, you know, one day trying to act like they love Jesus. I mean, how weird would that be to see a bride sort of in love with her bridegroom, and then the next day sort of dating another dude, and then, you know, one day she's thinking about the marriage, and the next day she's thinking cut off jeans. How odd. I don't care what the state is of the church right now. This is a prophecy. There's a day coming when the bride will make herself ready. She will be ready. She will be beautiful. She will be glorious. She will be comparable to Jesus. The challenge is most of us in the West don't want the process that's necessary to see us become comparable and conform to his image. So last week I said, it's not over if you're not at a wedding. Well, guess what, guys? It's not over when you're at the wedding. Because after that, this thing goes on. It goes on for a while. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Look at verse 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. Now she takes off of her works and put, puts on this beautiful robe of righteousness arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. Look at this phrase though. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. There's the continuity. What I'm saying is the robe you're going to wear in the next age is indicative of the way you kept your works in this. Whoop. Think about that one for a minute. I'm not trying to get anybody into striving, but we know there's those that are saved by fire. And I I don't know how it's going to go, but I just wonder if, you know, we kind of all get our robes and kind of go, bro, what happened to your robe? Looks like a truck ran it over. Yeah, I didn't do so well last age. 
I'm going to pick up the pace in this age. You know, I don't know exactly how that's going to be. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare anybody. But the point becomes, there is this continuity between how you live this life and the way that you're going to be clothed in the next. Now, here's the point. Well, there's many points, but pick one of them. Here's one of them. You have an incredibly important day in front of you. Your wedding day. But I want to make this point strongly. You don't just have one incredibly important day. You have at least two. Now, there'll be a million of incredible things that happen between now and then. But there are two pinnacle days that the scripture really points us to. One is this day when you spend the rest of your, uh, of your existence joined eternally with Jesus, your bridegroom, joined with the lamb, married to the lamb. But there's this other day that the scripture talks about when we dwell forever with the Father. You see, you're gonna get married and you're gonna get reunited. The connection we have with the Father, it's just like the child that was estranged and we get reunited. The lifelong process of the child that was on his own, running his own way, the prodigal son, until the full reuniting with the eternal father, that gets culminated after the next age. The scripture's clear. The eternal father is coming. He is coming. The, the, the living creatures around the throne in Revelation 4, they call him the one who was, who is, and who is to... He is to come. He is to come where? Come here. The Father is coming. Look, Jesus isn't the only one coming. The Father is coming. Whoo. Let's just work through the detail and then we're done. Revelation 21. Oh, I love these verses. I hate rushing through this stuff. Revelation 21, I'm just going to start at verse 1. This is after the great white throne. This is after a great renovation of this planet. It's called a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 1, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Praise God, Jaws is gone. (laughs) Verse 2. Oh, this makes me cry. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Well, is the city the bride or are the people the bride? There is no city without people in it. A city without people in it is called a ghost town. So when he sees the new Jerusalem, that means the people are there. And what's it doing? It's coming down out of heaven. To where? To the earth. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, this is exactly the, the words from Uh, Chapter 7, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I think it's the NIV says, the old order has passed away. Things are going to be different. Well, I should say so. When Yahweh is dwelling here again. He used to walk in the garden. Why would it be strange? He used to walk in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam. Why would it be strange for him to be here again? He's restoring all things. He's making everything new. Verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. 
And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Look at verse 7. He who overcomes. Remember, that's who gets to walk in white. The overcomers get to walk in white. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. All things. I do not know what that means, except for it means all things. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. The Father's going to give freely everything that he has, that he's created, all that he is. He's just going to hand it to us. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And this last phrase, my favorite. And I will be his God. He shall be my son. That's the reunion. That's the reunion. There's a day that's the gladness of the son's heart. It's the the wedding day. It's It's the day of the joy of his own heart. But there's a day that the father's still dreaming of beyond that. And it's the day that he's reunited fully and physically with his children. What's the end of a worthy walk? This is it. This is the end of a worthy walk. We spend forever with him, clothed in a robe of righteousness, all shame lifted off of our soul, in perfect intimacy, in perfect union with the Son and with the Father. This is what this is about. This is what this life is about. Living through a tough thing or two for 70 or 80 years is nothing compared to where we're going, beloved. The end of a worthy walk, you'll be clothed in white and you'll walk with him. That's what we're on the way to. Walking with the Lord in white. Keep your eye on that ball when what you're going through here doesn't make sense. Keep your eye on that destination when what you're going through here is so challenging and so, so difficult and there's so many pressings and pressures and people are losing their minds. Keep your eye on where you're going and it will constrain you as you walk through the, the myriad challenges of this age. Amen. Amen. I love meditating on these things. You know why? Because my heart tells me this isn't all I'm made for. Man, I'm made to fly. And I'm made for fire. And I'm made for beauty. And I'm made to be exhilarated. Most of the reason why Christians and just everybody gets in trouble in this age is because we're so bored. I'm made to be shocked. For forever, you're going to be blown away. He will dwell with them. The Father will dwell with you and I. I could keep going. Amen. Let's stand. Why walk worthy? Because he's worthy of it, yes. But why walk worthy? Because where are we going? We're going to be joined with him. Joined with Jesus, reunited with the Father. Why make a thousand choices for righteousness over and over and over? Why? Because <laughs> we're on our way to being clothed with the robe of righteousness. Hallelujah. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just worship the Lord for a moment.